Philippians chapter number 1. I want to begin reading in verse number 1. We're going to read just the first five verses. We're not going to be here the entire message, but uh, I just want to get a thought from verse number 5. The Bible says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Now listen to what he prayed for in verse number 5. He prayed for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Would you pray with me this evening? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful group of people. It's gathered here to worship you in spirit and in truth. Now, Lord, our prayer is that you'd make real to us the truths of your word. We know, Father, without the application of the Holy Spirit, that these things will be but a mystery to us. But, Lord, you can make them real to our lives. Not ask, Father, that they would become sweet truths that would help us and encourage us in this wicked day that we live in. Father, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone without Christ, does not know what the second birth is in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I pray that tonight you'd show them their need of Calvary, show them the precious truth of the price that's been paid for our sin debt. Father, help us all to live in such a way that bring you glory and honor. Father, give me the unction and power that's needed as I preach. Lord, help me to decrease that you might increase tonight, Lord. And we'll be sure to give you the glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Verse number five, we have a little word that's used, or I guess it's a big word, that I have a lot of interest in tonight. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about the Philippian fellowships. You'll find as you read the book of Philippians that the word fellowship is a key word, and it's found three times in this little epistle that Paul wrote from a jail cell to this dear group of believers whom he helped to birth into the spiritual world. We find in Acts chapter number 16, the very beginning of this fellowship of believers, uh, as Paul went down to a little prayer meeting down by the river, and it began with a woman by the name of Lydia, the Bible says, whose heart the Lord opened. And we read about the young woman who was uh, taken with a devil whom Paul cast out, uh, and uh, by whom her masters had much gain. And we read about a Philippian jailer whose world was shaken by the power of God. And he was brought into this fellowship of Philippian believers. And there we have the first handful of converts into Europe that is found in the Word of God and very likely had ever been this first little core of believers in this group that constituted the church at Philippi. We do not know exactly how many years had passed. There's some conjecture and some opinion about the matter. 
But several years had passed, and I'm sure this body had grown into a functioning body of believers that would meet on a regular basis. And so Paul, remembering these tender moments in which God used him in a great way and saved the souls of these believers, takes pen in hand, or rather dictates it to another person, and begins to pour his heart out to these Philippian believers. And it's interesting that this word fellowship is featured so prominently. I got to thinking about that word fellowship, and I always heard this uh, kind of little illustration, not a definition, but an illustration given about two fellows in a ship, and they have a common cause and need, and they have fellowship as a result of that. That may help you. It didn't really help me that much, but I remember it after all these years. Amen? But I got to thinking about what that word fellowship means, and we equate the word fellowship with the idea of friendship. And certainly there are some truths and some uh, synonymous qualities between the two, between the idea of fellowship and friendship. But don't mistake these two words. They're two separate ideas. Fellowship is something that's more intense. It's something that's more complex. It's something that's more invested than the idea of friendship. I have a lot of friends, but I have a lot of friends with whom I can't really have fellowship. If I was to define this word fellowship to you, I would say that That fellowship is a friendship that's been birthed, sustained, and maintained through a common experience or cause. It's not just an acquaintanceship. It's not just a group of people that you know. And let me say that it's not even necessarily a group of people you spend time with. But a fellowship is a relationship between two or more people that has a common root and a common cause. Something that you both can identify with. Something that's real to the both of you. And so you have a common ground and experience upon which to build this relationship. If you were to take that root and those common experiences out, very likely there would be no friendship. Do you know what I mean tonight? I've expressed this thought before concerning this local body of believers. And you know, some of us have a multitude of things in common. Some of us don't have very many things in common. And that's the beauty of Christianity. And that's the beauty of the local church. Is that together we have one common cause and experience by which to identify each other with. And that is the new birth. And the Holy Spirit of God living within us. We have a fellowship based around that. And it's interesting to look at all the different avenues of life that have funneled to this very place to this very time, to this very moment, and to see the way the providential hand of God has placed people together. But the only reason that we can have that is because we have a common cause and a common bond. That, friend, is what fellowship is. It's not necessarily that we in and of ourselves are so alike, but we've been made alike through the work of God in our life and through the new birth and through the Holy Spirit. That, I believe, is what Paul is talking about. And he gives three different fellowships that I just want to talk for a few minutes tonight. And some of these fellowships you're already involved in. Some of them you're not involved in, but you ought to be involved in. I believe we ought to be involved in all three of them to the best of our ability. We see in verse number 5 this phrase used, the fellowship of the gospel. Look at it again. For your fellowship in the gospel. And I've titled it just for alliteration purposes. You can jot this down. This is what I like to call the fellowship of sowers. The Bible likens the gospel to seed or the word of God to seed that is sown. And the Bible uh, says that you and I, as we labor in the gospel, we are sowers, sowing the good seed, sowing the word of God and the truth of God and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And can I say that that is the main work that we are called to do? There's a lot of things that churches can do, but if they're not laboring in the gospel, they've missed it. 
Churches can have all of the social activities they want. You say, preacher, are you against social activities? No, I'm not against social activities. I think we ought to be social people. The only option other than that is antisocial. I don't think that's what we ought to be. We're commanded to be separatists, not isolationists. I believe we're in this world, but we're not to be of this world. But I believe being in this world, we have a work that we are called to do. And I believe no matter what else a church may have, if it's not laboring in the gospel, it's defeated the purpose for which God created and saved and bought and purchased the church. I want you to notice a couple things about this fellowship that I, that I thought as I sat there and considered them. I noticed first off that this is a fellowship of participation. And every fellowship is a fellowship of participation. But particularly this fellowship, you're not going to know anything about it until you first partook of it. Uh, Riots is speaking to the uh, Pharisee by night, Nicodemus. Uh, Christ made this statement. And this was a radical statement to a Pharisaical mind. Nicodemus didn't know what he was talking about when Christ looked at him and said, Ye must be born again. The new birth is the prerequisite to the relationship with God and the fellowship with the believer. I'll tell you why a lot of people can't get along today. A lot of people can't get along because they've never been born again. A lot of people can't get along because they've really got nothing in common with believers. And can I say, and I don't know uh, what the truth about our church would be about this, but I believe about the church in general that one of the greatest problems that the church has today is that it's full of lost people. People that have never truly been born again. They have their name on a church roll. They have all the religion in the world. But they don't know anything of the Spirit of God because they've never been born again of the Spirit of God. If you're going to be a part of this fellowship, if you're going to know what the gospel is all about, you first got to partake in it. It's got to be real in your life. And can I say, if we can't be anything else, we ought to be real. I believe that tonight. Listen, if we can't be fancy, we ought to at least be real. If we can't be prosperous, we ought to at least be real. If we can't be success, and I'm talking about as a church. I mean, if, if we can't be prosperous, we ought to at least be real. Uh, if, if we can't be successful by the world's eyes, I think one thing we can do tonight is we can be real. I think we have a calling to be real in our life. And I think it begins with first partaking in the gospel, accepting Christ as your personal Savior. If you've never done that, you don't know what any of it's about. I often think about what it must be like for a lost person that's in a religious situation. Because I think that happens more than we really recognize. And I wonder sometimes what it must be like for a lost person when the preacher gets up and he preaches about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and they sit there and think, I don't know what that is. He preaches about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts and they think, you know, I don't know what that love is. My niece got saved at camp this past year and one of the things that, that thrilled me, I, I asked her mama, my sister, that's how that works, right? Um, I asked her the other day, I said, have you seen a change? In her. She said, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've seen a change. I've seen a difference. She said, you know, she's not perfect. None of us are. But I've seen a change in her. One of the things that had concerned them before was, uh, and part of this is just being a teenager, but there was no remorse for treating others in an unkind way. She'd be mean or hateful to someone. She'd say something like, oh, I just hate her. I just can't stand her. I hate her. They'd say things like, well, Taylor, does that not make you feel bad? Do you not feel guilty? No, I don't feel bad. No idea what love was. She knew what parental love was. She knew what familial love was. But she had no idea what spiritual love was. I've noticed whenever, uh, since she's been born again, don't let, that, don't, don't let that phrase make you uncomfortable either. I think we ought to use it more, don't you? We like to use this term decision because people can go back on a decision. But once you've been born, you don't get unborn. Amen? 
She's been born again. And since she's been born again and has the Spirit of God within her, I've noticed a lot more loving attitude towards her friends and those around her. You see, before when the preacher would get up, whether it's me or someone else, and preach on the love of God, that wasn't real to her. You know why? She never partook in the gospel. It was all foreign to her. She had no clue. She could say the word. She had made several professions. And a lot of young people do. And she had made several professions. And profession, hey, I baptized her. But she wasn't born again. She didn't know what that really was. She wasn't a part of this. This is, this is a fellowship of participation. You're not going to know what it's about till you've been born again. You're not going to know what the Christian walk is till you've been born again. And listen, sometimes as a preacher, it almost concerns you whenever you preach and talk about the things of God. And some people look at you like a uh, calf staring at a new gate. They just look at you like, I don't know, I have a clue what you're talking about. Listen, if you don't know what the indwelling of the Holy Ghost is tonight, I believe I'd check up. If, if you don't know what it is to read the Word of God and for it to speak to you, I believe I'd be worried tonight. I believe I, I'd be ready to do some business with God because I just think we've got a lot of people, and it may be in Walridge, it may not be in Walridge, but I think the church in general, there's a lot of people tonight that say they know and say they've been saved, but there's never been a change in their life and they don't know what the new birth is. I believe this is a fellowship of participation. You've got to be saved before you'll know what it's all about. But I believe it is a fellowship of propagation. If you're in this fellowship, and it's not just whether you've been born again, but to be in this fellowship, you've got to both be born again. That's the first thing. But you've got to be laboring in this fellowship. There's a lot of people that have been saved, but they're not laboring in the gospel. Uh, you know, the, the great commission that God gave to his disciples before Christ ascended, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You say, oh, preacher, that was a dispensational statement. Well, you explain to me then why all through the New Testament, the exhortation is given over and over and over and over again about preaching the gospel and giving the word of God. Hey, this fellowship, it's something we ought to be involved in. It's something we got to make up our mind to be involved in. You're not gonna you're not you're not gonna backslide into being a soul winner. You're not gonna accidentally become a, a sower of the seed. You're not gonna accidentally do that. You're not gonna accidentally start giving out the gospel. You gotta make up your mind to do that. That's gotta be something that you have decided to do. And until you decide to do it, you won't do it. It's not something that's done naturally. It's something that's done spiritually. And a lot of people never have a part in giving the gospel because they've never made that decision. I'm going to give the gospel. I'm going to make up my mind to do it. I'm not going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it today. I'm not going to do it a year from now. I'm going to do it now. This is something we ought to all be involved in. Uh, you say, why is it a fellowship? You ever noticed? And by the way, you know, you can tell. You can tell. When you talk to somebody that's really given the gospel, I mean, that's really their life. You can tell it. You can tell it. One thing that blessed my heart, whenever we had Brother uh, Todd McKeon, many of you may not know that name just by the name, but he was the fellow that uh, works with the prisons in, in North Carolina. And he came up and preached our uh, one of those camp services we had. When we had him in, I made the statement. Somebody asked me how he did. And I said this. I said, I can tell he's a personal soul winner. I can tell that. You know how I can tell that about him? Because he seeks every opportunity to give the gospel. Most of you remember that evening when he was telling about his ministry. And one of his ministries is he gets backpacks full of just food and toothbrushes and socks and, and, and just anything in the world that a, that a homeless person could use. And as he goes through town, if he sees a homeless person walking down the street, he'll stop his car and get out and give them a backpack full of these amenities and begin to witness to them and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not a man that's waiting on a ministry. That's a man that's involved in the ministry tonight. That's a man that's not waiting for someone to fall in his lap and say, could you tell me how to be saved? That's a man that's looking for an opportunity to give the gospel. And that's what this fellowship really is. 
Listen, I think we'd have a lot less, and again, please don't think I'm uh, condemning Walridge in this. I mean, in the church in general. I think in the church in general, there'd be a lot less bickering if there was a lot more busyness, don't you? I think if we were endeavoring in this gospel, I think idleness, bri- uh, the idleness uh, breeds bickering and complaint. When you ain't got nothing to do, you'll do anything. You ever notice that? You ever sat around the house with nothing to do? And you sit around and you wind up organizing your cabinets or something? You ever had that happen before? When, when you're not doing anything, you'll do anything. And anything's a possibility when you've got nothing to do. But I believe if we get involved in this, I, I, think, I think for one thing we'd be a little more forgiven of others, don't you? You know, when someone's been laboring in the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ, when, when you can tell they've been out all day and they've been given the Gospel and they've been taking the opportunities that God has afforded them, uh, you know, sometimes we give them a little more grace when they might get cross with us. You know that? When you know someone, old Tom Malone put it this way, and I kind of like this. He said, you know, I can put up with somebody that's a little mean if they're doing something. <laughs> you know, I can put up with somebody that's a little cross if they're doing something for Jesus Christ. He said, it's the people that don't do anything in a cross that I can't put up with. <laughs> I believe this is a fellowship of propagation, but I believe this is a fellowship of power, too. You know that? You know what Romans 1.16 says? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I believe if we're going to be powerful Christians, you say, preacher, what do you mean? Uh, casting spells and healing people? No, I'm talking about living the Christian life in power, in victory. I'm talking about not being discouraged all the time and walking in defeat. If we're going to do that, I believe we've got to be a part of this fellowship. I believe if we would be a part of this fellowship, and you say, what do you mean by being a part of this fellowship? I mean getting busy serving God. That's what I mean. I, and I don't just mean doing anything. I mean giving the gospel. There's lots of people in this world that will do anything in the world for you other than give the gospel. Do you know that? There's a lot of people in this world, they'll do anything. They'll, they'll clean toilets or wash dishes or wash your car or mow your yard. They'll do anything in the world, but they don't want to give the gospel. I believe there's something wrong with that, don't you? I mean, shouldn't that be our first and main love is the giving of the gospel of Jesus Christ concerning the labor and work that we do? Shouldn't that be our main priority and our main goal? No matter what else our church may do, that ought to be the main thing. I believe if we'd become part of this fellowship, we'd see the power of God more in our lives. I think God would, would, would be able to help us more than He's able to help us now. Because, you know, God always takes care of His business. Uh, I'll tell you one way to guarantee that your physical and, and financial needs are met. You just give that money to the Lord and allow Him to direct it in your life. Because the Lord always pays His bills. I think one way that you can enable yourself to have more victory and encouragement in your life is to be busy about God's work because God always takes care of His servants. The problem is we expect God to bless and endow our efforts instead of asking Him to bless and endow His efforts. As long as we're doing that, it's futile. If we'll be a part of this fellowship, I believe God can use us. Look at chapter number 2. I want to show you a second fellowship that interests me greatly. Uh, Chapter number 2, and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, now notice this, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now, Paul goes on to explain a further thought, but I want to to look at that phrase, the fellowship of the Spirit. I believe there's a fellowship in the gospel and in laboring in, in Jesus Christ, but I believe there's a fellowship for those that are in the Spirit and those that walk in the Spirit. You know, there's a big difference between being born again and walking in the Spirit. 
There's lots of people that are born again that walk in the flesh. But do you know that there's a fellowship that we have when we walk in the Spirit that's more sweet than just about anything we could ever have? I believe there's three reasons for this. I I believe one of them is because of this uh, fellowship of the gospel that we have. We have a common labor that we're endeavoring in. Do you know that the Bible says in Zechariah chapter number 4, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Uh, That's in contextual reference to the building of the restoration temple. But I believe it's true for anything. I believe the only way to serve God is through the Spirit of God. I think that's why so many of us fail on a regular basis. You say, preacher, you're preaching at me. No, I'm preaching at me right now. That's why I fall short. That's why I fail. That's why I don't do what I need to do and I'm not what I need to be. It's because we try to do it in the energy of our flesh. But the fellowship we have one with another is when we're depending upon the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work. You know that helps in a lot of the frustrations we suffer sometimes? You know where frustration and stress comes from? If uh, you were to uh, talk about stress tests done on a bridge, you know, before they build a bridge, they always do stress tests and they run models and projections of how much weight that this bridge can can handle. And you know why that that bridge crumples under the stress? Because it's got too much weight put upon it. You know what the Bible says about believers? We're to bear one another's burdens. And then you say, what are we to do with those burdens? I can't even bear my own burdens. Well, Christ tells us what we do with those burdens. Then it says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. How do you think that's done? That's through the Holy Spirit of God. You see, when He gives you the peace and encouragement and strength that you need through your burdens, you cast those upon the Lord and you say, Lord, this isn't me. I can't do it. Lord, you're going to have to take care of it. He, through the Holy Spirit and through faith, enables you to trust Him and to depend upon Him. And He takes those burdens off of you. When He does that, you're enabled to serve Him in a greater capacity and you're enabled to bear one another's burdens. I know this isn't my message, but I feel like the Holy Ghost wants me to say it. As long as we're bearing our own burdens, we can't bear one another's. Stop and think about that tonight. As long as we're bearing our own burdens, we can't bear one another's. As long as it's all about us, you're never going to be a help to anybody else. Stop and think about that. As long as it's all about me, I can't help anyone else. Until you say, should it become all about them? No, you'll get overloaded that way too. If you'll make it all about Him, all about serving Him. Let me tell let me give you a good motto to make as your life motto. Just remember this thought. I'm second. I'm not first. Christ is first in my life, in every aspect, in every way, in everything. He has the preeminence. If you can get that in your mind and make it your motto and let it seep into your soul, it'll enable you to serve God. But you say, preacher, how do I do that? You won't do it naturally. You won't do it through the energy of the flesh, but through submission to the Holy Spirit of God. We have a common labor. I don't want to fight against our, my, my fellow laborers. You know that? I don't want to fight against. I remember talking to someone one day, and uh, it was about a bit of drama. Would you believe that there's drama in Baptist churches sometimes? Would you believe that? I know. I know. I don't believe it either, but it happens occasionally. And I was talking to a group of people about something. And you could tell they were getting kind of frustrated. And, do you know people get frustrated with the pastor sometimes even? I don't understand that, but they do. And uh, we were sitting there talking and everything, and you could tell that they were... They were discouraged and they were frustrated. And they were looking for someone, someone to project that onto. And I looked at him and I said, uh, I said, you know, I said, the people around you aren't your enemy. I said, your pastor's not your enemy and you're not his enemy. 
And the brothers and sisters in Christ that you have around you, they're not your enemy. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy, but that enemy is not each other. That's not who that enemy is. We're fellow laborers, one with each other. I believe we ought to treat each other with grace, don't you? I believe we ought to try to be forgiven. I believe we ought to try to help and encourage one another. We're only going to do that through the Holy Spirit. We have a common labor. But I believe, number two, we have a common life together. We have a common life together. The Bible says we've been baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. Now, you can believe whatever you want to believe about that, but I believe it has connotations further than the church. I believe it has to do with the fact that we've been made alive in Christ and we all have a common experience. I'll tell you, friend, if you're born again by the Spirit of God tonight, then you and I both have the same kind of life within us. We have new life. We have abundant life. Christ said, I am come that you may have life, and that you may have it more abundantly. And you and I, if you're truly born again, I know I am tonight. And I believe you probably are too. I'm not saying that you're not, but I'm saying I know that I am tonight. And so if you're born again, we have a common experience. We have a common life through the Holy Spirit. I can talk to you about walking in the Spirit, and, and you'll know what I mean. I can talk to you about spiritual warfare. You know what I mean. I can talk to you about the help of the Holy Ghost, and you'll know what I mean. There's a common life that we have. We know what each other are talking about. When we talk about the goodness of God and, and what He's done in our life, oh, it blesses my heart. We, you know, we get over and we do it some in here too, but I, I don't know, maybe it's because we're cooking for Him and that gets everybody in a good mood. But we, you know, we get over in the senior saints uh, meeting sometimes and, and people get to testify and talking about the good things God's done for them. And it just swells my heart up. Maze Jackson, you say sometimes God will squeeze your heart so much till tears come out. And, and, you know, we'll just get to talking about the good things of God. Do you know why a group of 40 or 50 50 people can get together and all brag on the same Lord and all talk about the same Spirit and all talk about the same goodness of God. It's because there's a common life that they all understand. They know what it is to be discouraged and be uplifted by the Holy Ghost. They know what it is to be overwhelmed and find their help in the Lord. There's a common life that we have together. I believe, you know that I believe that this is something we're placed into when we're born again, but I believe it's something we also partake in. Through our own decision. I, I believe we ought to share with one another what God's done in our lives. You say, is that the most important thing? No, it's probably not the most important thing. But I'd sure put it at the top of the list. I believe we ought to share with each other what God's done in our life. We have a common life, but I believe also we have a common love. Romans 5, 5 says that the, that hope made, maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. We ought to have a common love for each other too. It's inexplicable. It's inexplicable how much that God's children love each other. You know that? It's inexplicable. Now, let me just be honest tonight. I think you'll know what I mean when I say this. There's no reason for you to love me. There's no reason for you to love me. And there's no reason for me necessarily to love you. You say, but preacher, aren't I lovable? There's a lot of lovable people in the world. Why is it that we love each other? I, I, I love my wife. I know why I love my wife. You all, I don't know why I love you. <laughs> no, I know why I love you. There's a common love that we have. It's the love of God. I, I love you as Christ also loves you. You love me. You don't love me because I'm lovable. Don't feed me that line. I wasn't born yesterday. I wasn't born too long ago, but it wasn't yesterday. Amen? 
You don't love me because I'm lovable. If you love me, you don't love me for that reason. You love me with the love of God. The love of God is more resilient than the love of man. The love of God can love an enemy for a cause. Don't think about that. The love of God can love an enemy for a cause. The love of man cannot see past the immediate and the temporal, but the love of God can. We have this love, one with another. We care about each other. Why do we care about each other? Hey, I'm just telling you some things that tell me Christianity is real tonight. Is that okay? I'm just telling you some things that, that call Islam from the, from the group of truth. I'm just telling you some things that, that call Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses from the group of what is truth. It tells me something that Christians love each other. Hereby shall they know that you are my disciples and that you have love one for another. You know, listen, I, I'm not, and I, I believe we ought to preach on judgment. I believe we pre- ought to preach on hell and on a separation. I believe we ought to preach on all these things. I believe they're necessary and vital to church life. But I don't believe there's a thing in the world wrong with preaching on the love of God either and loving each other in the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I do that? You do that through submission to the Holy Spirit. That's how you become a part of this fellowship of the Spirit. It's through submission. It's through submission. It's through allowing the Holy Ghost to run and to lead your life. That's how it takes place. We see this second fellowship, a fellowship of the Spirit. But I want to show you a final thing. You know this verse, most of you do, but look in chapter number 3. Look down at verse number 10. The Bible says, Paul speaking of his relationship with the Lord and of his, his great aspiration in life of knowing the Lord, he says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Notice this phrase, and the fellowship of His suffering. We see the fellowship of the sowers, and we see the fellowship of the Spirit, but I believe we see the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ in the book of Philippians. It's been said before that misery loves company. And there's a common bond in suffering that is inexplicable other than to observe it and view it in its state. The Bible says that there is a certain fellowship in the midst of sufferings. You know, some of you know there's, there's no bond many times, closer than the bond of people that have been in war together. If you ever if you ever spend any time uh, in action or you knew people that did spend time in action, there's a closeness. I'm talking about veterans that, that haven't been in the army for 30 or 40 years, still try to get together and spend time together and see each other. And there's a love and a bond and a fellowship out of that experience that takes place through that suffering. The same thing is true of why we have support groups for various things. Cancer support groups and abuse support groups. Why? Because they can identify with each other. In a world where no one understands them, they understand each other. And can I say that the suffering that we have in the Christian walk, not only is this a fellowship we have with Christ, but I believe it's also a fellowship we have with each other. We understand what it is to suffer. You say, preacher, are you telling me you've been through hard times? No, not any harder than most people have. Probably not even as hard a times as most people have. But I know this, the suffering, the spiritual suffering that takes place is something that we can identify with each other with if we've lived for Jesus Christ. I believe there's three things that are spoken of here, and I just want to give them to you very quickly and we'll close. I believe we have the idea, and look at Philippians chapter 1 again. Look at verse 29. It says, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. I believe as believers we suffer for Him. You say, what does that mean? Suffering that benefits the Savior. 
Christ talked about it, uh, or not Christ, but Paul talked about it in his letter to Corinth when he spoke of the thorn in the flesh. And he said, I, I will uh, most gladly, therefore, bear reproach, bear suffering for the name of Christ. That the glory of Christ and the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. We do not know what that thorn was, and that's by design. I like that. Boy, isn't it wonderful we've got an inspired Bible? Because if I had known what Paul's thorn was, the devil would have come along and said, well, I ain't talking about your thorn in the flesh, because your thorn in the flesh isn't Paul's thorn in the flesh. But no, the Bible allowed some some vagueness there for, for a purpose by design. So my thorn, whatever I'm going through, in what way I'm suffering, I can identify with the suffering of Paul. And I can enter and have a part of this fellowship. Paul was suffering from some kind of thorn in the flesh. And he prayed and he asked the Lord, Oh God, take it away from me. Three times. You say, well, that's not very much to pray for it. I believe what Paul's saying is three seasons of prayer about the matter. You don't have to believe that. But I believe what Paul is saying is that he went through a time, a, a period of time in which he pleaded and begged God to take it away. And then for whatever reason, through, through discouragement, uh, through, through failure, he said, I'm not praying for that anymore. Then once again, his malady and suffering drove him back to the throne room of grace. And again, he prayed for a second time for a reason unknown to us. He He ceased to pray. Then finally, for a third time, he came back and he said, God, you've got to take this away from me. And you know what? You know what God said? God said, no, Paul. No. My grace is sufficient for thee. Paul, when you're weak, I'm strong. When you're weak, my strength can be manifest through you. The very thing that Paul was praying for the Lord to take away from his life, was the very thing that was bringing God the most glory. And the answer, the answer that was given to Paul was, Paul, this suffering is bringing glory to me. That's suffering for his sake. We'll suffer at times, and it's necessary that we in our lives might be found more unto his praise, honor, and glory. I believe there's suffering for him. I want you to notice the second thing about these sufferings that interest me. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to look at verse number 21. I believe we suffer for Him. But it says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. I believe Peter's talking about suffering as Christ suffered. We're going to bear the same kind of reproach that Christ suffered. And he made this abundantly evident. He said, the world's going to hate you. It doesn't really hate you. It hates me. The Bible says, yea, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And listen to me. Why is it that we expect to live like Christ but not suffer like Him? Why is it we expect to live Christ-like and maintain all of our social circles and friends when the shepherd was smitten and the sheep scattered? Why is it that if we endeavor to serve God, we expect our coffers to be full and for all of the abundant temporal pleasures when the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head? Why is it we expect that? That's the deceit of Satan. That's why I completely reject this notion of health and wealth preaching in every way, shape, fashion, and form. Let me tell you something. The health and wealth preachers, they wouldn't have had a thing to do with our Savior. They would have told him he was full of sin. And that's why he was in his circumstances. That's what the health and wealth preachers would have told our Lord. That's not Bible. That doesn't have a shred of Bible on it. The Bible teaches if we live like Jesus Christ, we're going to lose some friends. 
we're going to have some people turn their back on us. We're going to have some people walk away. And can I say, it interests me whenever I sing the old song, I want to die on the battlefield. And I sing about how there used to be some that walked and talked with me, but since I've been converted, they've turned their back on me. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. Because if you've lived for Christ long enough, you'll lose your friends. If you live for Christ long enough, you'll have some people put a knife in your back. You'll have some people turn away from you. You'll have some people intentionally hurt you. You serve God long enough, you'll have people use you as stepping stones. That's a part of the Christian walk. But do you know what? If you're in that situation, you know you got some people around you that know what you're going through. you got some people you can have some fellowship with. When you talk to them and you tell them about what you've been through, they can say, yeah, I know where you're at. I know what you've been through. I know what you're going through because I've been there. I know what it's like to be in that shape. And can I say that the Bible teaches that we have a high priest who who has been touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. We have a high priest that knows what we've been through. He suffered because he suffered. He's able to succor them that are tempted, the Bible teaches We have fellowship because we suffer for Him, because we suffer as Him. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 says that if we're joint heirs with Him, we'll suffer with Him. I like this. I closed with this thought on purpose. Do you know that you have a model? You have a beneficiary for your suffering. Glorifies God. You have a model for your suffering. We're suffering like Christ. But do you know we have a companion in our suffering? I thought about that phrase for a long, long time. Suffer with Him. I tried to make sense out of that phrase. How do we suffer with Christ? Is it talking about partaking in the the sufferings of Calvary and eating the onions and the the bitter leeks? Is that what it's talking? Is is it talking about drinking of that cup? Is it talking about partaking that death? No, that's not what it's talking about. Is it talking about somehow superimposing the sufferings of Christ in in our life? No, that's not what it's talking about. That little word with is so sweet, though. You know what it's merely saying, Ralph? This is what I believe. I think it's merely saying that when we suffer, if we're suffering for Him and as Him, He's suffering with us. We have a companion in our suffering. We have someone that walks that valley with us. We have someone... Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. I don't know what you're going through right now. I may not be able to identify with your suffering right now. But you know that there's a Savior seated at the right hand of the Almighty God, whoever liveth to make intercession for you, and a great high priest and the apostle of our profession, and He knows what you're going through tonight. If you've been born again by the Spirit of God, if you know the Savior, then He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's right there with you. You may not recognize His presence, but His presence is there nonetheless. You may not abide by His presence, but His presence is there nonetheless. You you may not be secured by His presence because you're not aware of it, you're not depending on it, you're not taking comfort and strength in it, but His presence is there nonetheless. God's with you in the midst of your suffering. I like what the Bible says about Joseph. Joseph suffered in this manner that we're speaking about more than almost any other Bible character. 
Joseph was a young man that we have no stain upon his testimony given. Joseph was not perfect. He was flesh and blood. He failed, made many mistakes, I'm sure. But no stain is recorded concerning his his testimony that I'm aware of, uh, nor that I've ever heard of. He lived a, a life above reproach, at least concerning the scriptural testimony. And Joseph suffered as a result of living for God. His brethren took him and sold him into Egypt and into slavery. He was exalted through that experience only to have uh, Potiphar's wife smear his good name, destroy his outward character, the character that people knew him by. He was cast into prison. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says they just forgot him there. That's what the world will do. That's what sin will do. Sin will get you in a prison then forget it even left you there. But you know what I like the Bible says about that situation? Joseph was in prison. The Bible says, but the Lord, the Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't just say the Lord knew where Joseph was at. That'd be a blessing. That'd be a blessing if it had said that, that God knows where Joseph is, is at. It didn't just say that the Lord was working on getting Joseph out or one day would get Joseph out. That'd be a blessing. If I was Joseph and if I was in prison and I heard from heaven and the Lord said, Joseph, I'm working on your situation. That'd be an encouragement. But oh, something so much sweeter and so much greater that the Lord was with Joseph in his prison. Joseph was not alone in his sufferings. Joseph had someone to fellowship with. Couldn't fellowship with the baker or the butler. He didn't know what he was talking about. But he had someone that walked with him and talked with him. He had someone that could encourage him, someone he could speak to, that in his heart of hearts would speak back to him. He had a friend in the midst of his suffering, he had a savior in the midst of his suffering, he had a God in the midst of his prison. Boy, that's a sweet fellowship. You may be here tonight and you may be in the midst of suffering. You may be going through something that nobody else knows about. You may be going through something that everybody knows about, but nobody really knows about. Can I encourage you tonight by saying that there's a sweet fellowship above the description of tongue or pen that you can have with the Almighty God of Heaven, your Savior Jesus Christ tonight. If you'll only take those burdens and bring them to the Lord, through the Spirit of God and through faith in Him, place those upon Him. Seek His help and encouragement. He's there. He's ready. I wonder if you're part of these fellowships tonight. If you're not, I believe I get to be a part of them. Don't you? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful we can be a part of these things? I believe if I wasn't tonight, I'd make sure before I left here I was.